0: remain standing this morning to honor the gospel of Jesus, which comes to us from Luke, the third gospel, or chapter 13, a story of one of Jesus' healing miracles. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When Jesus laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his dog? ox or donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When Jesus said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that Jesus was doing the word of our lord thanks be to god be seated and as you're seated we invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship and as our children leave we invite you to bow and pray god for the good gift of this moment where gathered in this space Are other people who are seeking, knocking, asking. We believe that you are a God who is generous and who will give us what we need. So today, take this text, take these thoughts, take the meanderings of our minds and use them to bring healing in your world, in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, who is our Christ, amen. This little story I just read, this little passage from the Gospel of Luke, just a single passage, feels to me like the Gospel in microcosm. That is, it contains within it the very essence of what this faith is that we're proclaiming this morning. Let me explain what I mean. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue when this event happens. We don't know what Jesus was teaching specifically that day. But I feel safe in saying he was not focused on trivia. He wasn't worried about the literal interpretation of a text. In fact, Jesus avoided passages and sometimes even cut passages short in order to avoid parts of the Old Testament that were shaming or judging or condemning or violent. He had a message that he came to bring. His focus was on God's intent, God's dream for the world, what we call the kingdom of God. So maybe Jesus went back to that passage that he picked up at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, a passage from the book of Isaiah that Jesus read before his hometown when, it's, when he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to release the captives, and to announce the year of the Lord's favor. Maybe he was unpacking that a little bit and saying, this is God's agenda right here. This is what God cares about. When out of the corner of his eye, he sees a woman enter the synagogue. I, I infer that Jesus knew this woman. He knew part of her story. He knew that she had been bound by what what inhibited her for eighteen long years, he says. He apparently knew her story. So he calls out to her and he touches her. And somehow his healing energy connects with her. And she stands up tall and begins to praise God. It's a pretty cool miracle. But Luke tells us this is more than just a physical miracle. It's great that her body was healed physically. It's great that she was able to stand tall physically. But that really wasn't the point so much. Luke tells us that this woman had a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She had a crippling spirit in her. Something about who she was as a human being. How she perceived the world, how she received the world, how she responded to the world, left her damaged, broken, crippled. It weighed her down. it bent her over. There are lots of crippling spirits in the world. We can I'll name just a few of them, the, the crippling spirit of worry that pervades our culture today. We worry about our kids. We worry about the elections. We worry about global warming. We worry about the way that our country is changing. We worry about the way church is changing. We worry about the way we're changing. It's a scary world. On the Diane Reem Show this week, They went through a little litany of all the things happening in the world. And Diane Rehm concluded, there's not a lot of good news in the world today. All I have to say is the photograph of the little boy rescued from the bombed house in Syria. And you know what I mean. We feel it. We feel the weight we carry it, and it bends us, and it cripples us. Fear does the same thing, the crippling spirit of fear. There's an ad for a TV show. I've never seen the show. I've seen the ad. The ad says, don't watch alone. As if something's going to come out of the television and grab you. We're crippled. We're paralyzed we're twisted by this fear and it turns us into people that we don't want to be we become reactive and violent in our own spirit there's a crippling fear of incompetence that sense that i'm not really as good as other people jeremiah felt it in the passage nine and read god i'm just a boy i i i don't know how to speak as if god can only speak through adults So we deny what we have, the gifts that God has given us. Or we try to fake them and alter them in order to appease others, like like the shepherd boy David, who takes the armor built for the king, a man, and tries to put it on in his battle with Goliath. But finally he has to say, take it off. It weighs me down. It binds me. This crippling spirit of incompetence. And the crippling spirit of shame, if there's anything I see on a regular basis in my ministry, it is the crippling spirit of shame. Perhaps things you did, perhaps things you failed to do, perhaps things that were done to you, Memories of people you've heard, or perhaps memories of opportunities that you've missed, but it begins to feed on itself. The shame kind of grows, so that now not only are you shaming yourself, but you infer that everything someone says to you, every look that someone gives your way, is a is a look or a word of shame. And it bends you down. It weighs you. It presses you toward the ground. Jesus saw the woman bent over. He knew her need. He called out to her. He went to her. He touched her. And he brought God. He brought God's dream for her life. That she be delivered from this crippling spirit. And be able to stand tall and to look the world eye to eye, face to face. Jesus notes that she'd been in this bondage for 18 years, 18 years. In American culture, by the time you turn 18, you're an adult. For 18 years, she's been living with this, perhaps from birth, perhaps it was a later uh, experience in her life, but she's been pressed down for 18 years, and Jesus says, it's time to move on. As the Apostle Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, when I turned 18, I put away childish things. I began to see myself anew. Jesus' message, his way, his love, brings to this woman a gift, the gift of standing tall, and she's born again. She's a new person. The weight's been lifted. That weight that presses us down. Just last week we read the line from the epistle to the Hebrews. A line that we've used as a a symbol of this sanctuary with all of these people in the windows. We often use Hebrews 12 verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now listen. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let's run with perseverance the race that's set before us. Listen, you can't run when your back is bent. And thanks be to God, today people are beginning to discover that they're loved by God, that they're worthy of respect. And not only are they worthy of respect, they have gifts to bring, to give for the common good. The LGBT community, African-American community, women, disabled, everyone is finding out that, as Martin Luther King said, that a man can't ride your back unless it's bent. Thanks be to God. One comes to straighten us up again and give us the gift of standing tall. These, these groups, these sons and daughters of Abraham have been bent over far too long by fear and shame and a sense of incompetence. But one by one, And group by group, they're being given this gift to stand tall from this one who sees them, who knows them, who welcomes them completely, who touches them and raises them up. This is the work of the church. This is our work as Christ's representatives to spread this gift of standing tall by how we speak, by how we live, by what we do, to announce that Christ is the purest, most abundant picture of God that we could possibly dream. And this gift is for all of God's children. So that's part of why I said at the beginning, today's reading is kind of a a microcosm of the gospel. It's all right there. But I also have to tell you that in this microcosm is a kind of warning to people like you and me, people who see the world the way Christ is inviting us to see the world. The other reality is this. There are other people who see God, who see the world, who see religion in a profoundly different way. An example of this is the synagogue leader that day. On the day the woman bent over for 18 years was healed. On that very day, there was a synagogue leader who was more focused on the possibility that a rule had been violated than that a woman had been healed. He missed it. He missed it completely. He wasn't praising God. He was blowing the whistle and calling foul. Violation. Rule number four of the Ten Commandments has been violated. Think about that. That's what you think God cares about? To be more focused on being sure that the rules are obeyed and that some undeserving person doesn't slip into the love of God? That's what you think God cares about? More than the opportunity to see God's work of love happening right there in the midst of them. I'll confess to you, and most of you know this, that underneath this robe, I'm just a man. As Henley Barnett said one time, I'm a Christian with a thin. Ven- I'm, a, I'm a pagan with a thin veneer of Christianity on me. Stretch it deep enough, and you'll see the person who gets mad at the synagogue leader, who gets snarky with people who are all about rules, who's offended by people who want to keep others out in order to validate their own sense of worth. I get mad. But I think the gospel, this gospel in microcosm, also causes us to have another emotion as well, and that is to move from being mad to being sad. For you see, I realize the rule keepers, the synagogue leaders of the world, they're not bad people. They're people who sit on these pews with you and me. We need these people. We need rules. Rules are good. Without rules, y'all would show up at church in your pajamas and start, like, interrupting me in the middle of my sermon, and it would be ugly, and I'm glad we've got some rules. The problem's not the rules. The problem is when we let the rules rule. Rule. When we let the rules rule and replace God. But let's mark this down that God's rules without God pull us in a direction that is not God. It pulls us in the direction of scarcity, in the direction of exclusion, in the direction of boundaries, in the direction of fear that's not healthy or positive or constructive. The synagogue leader was worried about keeping the Sabbath holy. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And he mistakenly thought that keeping the Sabbath holy meant keeping the rules. When the holiness of God is revealed, when God's love and energy and healing spirit can come and change people and lift up women and men and boys and girls to stand in the gift of tallness. Whatever your height, to stand tall as a child of God. So when this rule keeper, when this synagogue leader says, there's six days in which work ought to be done, not on the Sabbath What the leader's really saying is this, I feel threatened by this way, this other way, this extravagant way, this loving way, this permission, inclusive way, this open door way, this non-competitive way. I'm threatened by it. I'm disoriented by it. And ultimately it becomes a battle between the crippling spirit and the spirit of Jesus. But it doesn't need to be a battle. This isn't a fight. Jesus would say to the synagogue leader as much as to the woman bent over, come to me, all of you who are tired of carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. It's the great invitation of God. And it's one more reason why this story of a woman who has been over for me is in fact a microcosm of the gospel. Because you see, ultimately, our work, our work is not done until the circle is unbroken. Until all are included. The bent over woman And the synagogue leader, the woman who's been burdened by rules, as well as the man who's a prisoner of the rules. The rule keeper is also a child of Abraham. And so the call of the church is to speak love in all directions, all directions, to not destroy or damn our enemies. But to, take, but to take the gospel to the critic, to the fearful, to the rule keeper. For when Jesus said to them, you hypocrites, I don't think he was hating on them. I don't think he was hating on them. He was calling them home, calling them to care for the lost at least as much as they're able to care for their ox or their donkey or their other animals. In other words, Jesus wants to heal the rule keeper's crippling spirit as much as Jesus wants to heal the woman bent over for 18 years. That's why today's gospel is a microcosm of the story of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Awaken in us, O God, the high calling to be your eyes, your hands, your touch, so that your love can lift up those who have been weighted and bent for far too long. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray in your holy name. Amen.